All right, so we're continuing our series on Overwatch, and uh, today, uh, titling this, Do Not Underestimate the Nature of This War. So, uh, with the threat of war uh, looming across the globe today, it all kind of takes a little bit different position for us when we talk about being in a war ourselves. And that really is part of this walk that we have in faith. It is a war. There's a lot that we have in Christ. There's a, a whole lot. There's, I made a list, just a short list, a very short list of some things that are ours in Christ. Uh, there's the mercy and grace that God has demonstrated to us while we're sinners. That's, that is beautiful. Uh, there's forgiveness and peace and hope that we have that are ours at salvation. That's beautiful. There's the passion for truth and transformation and life that comes alive in us. That's, that's good. That's rich. There's the fact that we become part of a body of believers where we find power and confidence in life. And it's essential. It's essential to be with other people. Uh, the enemy loves to isolate, and that's when he can attack. But there's power in being together and sharing our lives together. Um, and we are filled with the, the very essence of God. His spirit himself is now in us, who's teaching us, leading us, comforting us and correcting us. Those are all beautiful and powerful things. There's so many other facets to the Christian life, but we also find that we're engaged in a war. And it's really, it's not even something you can choose to be a part of or not. You're already in it. When you were born into the, into the faith, when you were born again, you were instantly put into a war. It's not just a small skirmish. It's not just a localized battle. It's not a fight between two bullies at the school that you can somehow, you know, walk around and choose to not be a part of. No, you're, you're in a war. The fact that you have been named a child of God means you are in a war. It's not an option. In fact, you find that you were actually made for this war. You were fitted for the battle in this war. You've been giving very specific orders in this war. You might not have realized it. You might not have thought you could do it, but it, you find that it has been true for you. It's been, you've been called into this. You've been made for this. And you play a strategic part in the fight. Everyone does. It's not just for certain people. If you call yourself a child of God, you're in the war, and you're, you have a part to play. And everyone else depends on you, especially the people that are closest to you. If you're married, your wife, you're a parent and you have children, if you have people around you that you influence, all right, then you are in this war and you have a part to play and people are counting on you and you have weapons that have been already assigned to you and they're powerful. They're not things you have to uh, level up or rank up to. You are giving, given incredibly powerful weapons at the moment that you became a child of God. And we have been looking at what it means to take on our position in this war, the position of overwatch, the position of being one who is aware of the battlefield, who is aware of the tactics of the enemy, and not just assessing the threat, but being able to eliminate the threat. That's critical. And it's critical that it happens in our lives. A few weeks back, we started with this list here at the bottom, and I grouped together some of the uh, tactics of the enemy. 
Because if we're going to be overwatch, we have to know what we're looking for. We have to know what movement on the ground is going to signal the enemy's tactics. And I grouped together some of these areas, and we've started down the road of dealing with these. So there's uh, one of the tactics of the enemy is this grouping of fear, anxiety, and worry. They are part of his, his strategy, his arsenal. And he takes out many a person by those groupings of threats. Uh, guilt, shame, condemnation. We dealt with that last week and how the enemy loves to use those to render a man useless in the fight. Uh, the ones we've not dealt with yet, bitterness, revenge, and a critical spirit. This one is deadly as well because once that takes hold in a man, it, it colors everything about his life. It changes how he sees people. It changes how he sees himself. It changes how he sees God. And it takes him really out of the battle. Um, insecurity, comparison, jealousy, another favorite tactic of the enemy. Pride, resistance, and stubbornness. And then sensuality, lust, and greed. And then self-hatred and self-rejection. All of those are the weapons, the strategies, the threats that the enemy uses to take out men. And the unique thing about them and us is you probably have one or more of these groupings that you are more susceptible to than other men at your table because everybody has them. Everybody has at least one set of these that you are more susceptible to that you have to be highly on guard for. I know what mine are right away. You've heard me talk about them. You hopefully spot yours as well because if you're going to be effective at protecting others and being overwatch for them, you've got to be effective at defeating the enemy in you first. You've got to be in a place of strategic overwatch, but in a place of at least walking in more victory than losses. I don't mean perfection, but at least more victory than losses. So the scripture makes it clear that we've been called into this battle and tells us in these verses at the bottom here that we have the power to not just resist these, but to actually defeat these. Now, this is where we're headed today. I'll just tell you up front. I want to get us as men to get past the idea of just fighting against these, but winning against these. And part of that is based on what you believe so, look what Scripture says here. Ephesians 1.22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So, it's referring to God the Father has put all things under the feet of Jesus and gave him to be head over all things to the church, us. So, if Jesus is Lord of our lives and over the church, and Jesus has all things under his feet, and we are in him, then all things are really under us as well. We should be in a place of standing power over all things. 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We're in a war. We've been given weapons. We've been fitted for this. And the purpose of us being in the war is not to just fight, but to win, to pull down strongholds, to cast down arguments, to pull down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and to win in that, not just pray that we can have strength in it, but to stand in victory in it. Those are two different things. So, um, I told you we covered two of these already of that list, the fear and anxiety, the worry, the guilt, shame, and condemnation. But I realized all of a sudden what I was doing was giving you a list of the threats out there, but we weren't talking about how we were going to fight against them. And I don't want to just spend five more weeks analyzing threats without the power to stand against them. So I'm kind of interrupting the flow here because I want us to get to this place where we assess these threats, but we eliminate these threats. It doesn't do us any good to know about it if we can't stand in victory over it. Fair enough? So, um, look on the back. I want to talk about what it is that we are called to and how we get some victory because, again, <clears throat> I'll just, I mean, up front, you probably already know, looking at the list on the front, my, my areas mine that I've dealt with are the fear, anxiety, and worry. I've dealt with the guilt, shame, and condemnation. And I've dealt with sensuality, lust, and greed in my life. Those are the three that I am more susceptible to than the others. Not that I haven't felt the sting of the others, but I just know, I'm just telling you up front, those are the ones I have been more susceptible to. So with that, um, it takes faith in each of our lives to stand in victory over those. And that's what we're called to. So you have this verse from Luke 10, and it's the words of Jesus to his disciples. So what he tells them, he tells us. He says, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's a pretty powerful promise from Jesus to his disciples, especially when you and I look at it and think, okay, trample. And we, we know he's not talking about physical serpents and scorpions here. He's talking about threats of the enemy. He's talking about spiritual scorpions, spiritual serpents and power of the enemy. And it says that nothing shall by any means hurt you. And you might say, like I might say, would say, okay, You've given me that authority. I'm not sure how I've walked in that kind of victory where I'm the one who's having authority. Sometimes feel like I'm under their authority, right? Sometimes feel like they're the one telling me what to do rather than me telling them what to do. But Jesus says, no, this is what I've given you. So if we're going to win against these threats, you and I, first of all, have to be willing and ready to take the high ground of authority in Christ. This is where I want to go today. What it means to stand your ground, take the high ground in a position of authority in Christ. If you're going to win in a battle, if you're going to be the overwatch, you've got to get to some high ground. That used to be 
physically you had to get to some high ground, the highest mountain, the highest overlooked place. But today we have drone technology, we have airplanes, and we have satellites. We can really truly get the absolute higher ground in the fight. And that's essential because if you can't analyze where the enemy is, then you can't have victory over him. But Jesus will say, and the Bible will say as we move forward here, that if you're going to win the battle, then you've got to start at the high ground position. And you've got to start in a place of authority. You've got to start where you're standing. That's what Jesus told the disciples. He said, I'm giving you the authority. I'm giving you the authority over the enemy, over the power of the enemy. He didn't say, hey, why don't you guys start working toward this idea where you slowly start to develop some authority over the enemy. It's not what he said. He said, I give you the authority. He didn't say, hey, I want you to start trying really hard to be good. I want you to start trying to earn your authority over the enemy. It's not what he said. He said, I give you the authority. He didn't even say, why don't you start praying that you can have authority over the enemy? It's not what he said. He said, I give you the authority. He didn't even say, you are to try to work out, figure out how you could be, possibly find the place where you could be the, an authority over the enemy. No, he said, I give you the authority. Those are very different things. So if you're going to take the high ground position, it's got to start with this idea that God has given me authority over the enemy already. And that's only possible by just having faith to believe that. If you think I've got to earn it, I've got to work up to it, I've got to be good enough, I've got to prove myself, you're missing the point. This is an action of faith that God gives us in Christ. So you've got to start with this place of recognizing where you stand. Now, why is it we can stand over the power of the enemy? Just let's talk about this for a minute. How, how in the world can I do that? How, how can we do that? How, we, how can we have all of a sudden the authority to stand over the enemy? true. You, you can't, you don't have authority apart from Christ. You only have authority in Christ. And the only way to get in Christ is surrender your life to Christ. So this is where it starts. But once you are in Christ, you have the authority, right? That is given to you. This is something you have to receive. You have to just take it and say, God, I don't feel authoritative. <laughs> I don't feel like I have the ability to trample. I don't feel like it, but I receive because that's what you've given me, and that's who I am in you. We don't have authority because we've earned it. We have authority because it's in Christ. He has the authority, right? He is the one who's been victorious. He has the one who's defeated the enemy. He is the one who's powerful. He is the one who has been placed as head over all things. But if I'm in him, I have what he has. So that means I can actually say I have authority in Christ over the enemy. Yes. 
It's, it's true. This is where your victory comes from. If you're, if you're still looking for a day when you think you might have authority, you're going to spend the rest of your life looking and thinking that day will come. Jesus said, I give you this authority. It's yours. Now, take that up by faith and stand in it. This means I have to put myself in a position of standing. If you're going to trample a serpent or a scorpion, you can't do it from laying down. You can't trample something if you're laying down. You can't trample something if you're sitting down. The only way you trample something is if you're standing, is if your feet are planted, if you can see where it is, the serpent or the scorpion, and you can position yourself and move yourself, shift your weight, plant your foot. You can only trample when you're in a position of standing. This is critical. We're going to see this more in some other verses from the New Testament. Standing is critical in fighting. Standing gives you the ability to move and adjust. Standing gives you your balance. Standing gives you your strength. Even if you're going to punch somebody, you get your strength from your standing and from your legs. You can't punch well sitting down. You can punch well standing. You don't see boxers sitting on stools fighting one another, right? They're on their feet. They're moving because that's where their strength comes from. In baseball, batters are not batting from a stool. They're batting standing because that's where their strength comes from. In spiritual warfare, standing is critical. Standing secure in some things that we have. For example, standing secure in your salvation. That's critical. If you're still struggling with whether you're actually saved or not, if you're still struggling with whether you have security in Christ or not, I can already tell you, you're not going to fare well in battle, spiritual battle, because your feet aren't planted. If you're uncertain and you're wobbly about your faith, you don't know whether today I'm saved, tomorrow I'm not, the next day I am, the next day I'm not, you won't win any spiritual battles because your feet have to be planted. You have to stand secure in your salvation. If you're going to stand, you've got to stand with confidence of who you are in Christ. You've got to stand with this awareness, I've been called into this battle I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. I have a purpose. When you stand in that stuff, then you can be victorious. But if you're still waffling in, well, I don't really know if I'm favored, blessed, loved, forgiven. I'm not really sure. I'm still working. I promise you, I already know what's going on. You're losing the battle because you're not standing secure in who you are. You're not going to trample anything that you're not in a position of standing first. You have to stand immovable against opposition and threat. You have to be willing to stand upright. It's interesting that the Bible calls us to be upright, to be righteous, because this is where your strength comes from, standing in Christ, standing in who you are, standing in that victory, and standing with a vision for what God's called you to. This is where you get your strength is in that kind of standing, this kind of confidence. You can't trample what you're not standing over to begin with. So why is it that more Christian men aren't in this position, but they're often instead in this position? See what I'm saying? A lot of Christian men, they don't, they don't walk in their Christian life with a sense of 
uprightness, purpose, and calling, they seem to sit more in places of just despair and defeat. Why is it more men aren't standing in their confidence in Christ today? Tell me. Yes. Yes. It's sad, but that's happening in a lot of churches. The people, they're not equipped to stand. In fact, it's almost as though they're, they're given more reason to doubt all the time, to question themselves, to second-guess themselves instead of being equipped with all that they need to stand firm in Christ. Mark? Instead of saying the word, saying just Yeah, that, that has to happen because the enemy, again, if, if he can isolate you, He'll, he'll attack your mind, your heart, your fears all come out. All those things on that front list, they start coming out when you get isolated, right? Why is it more men are not standing firm in Christ? I think it's Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The culture's saying, you know, don't even stand in your maleness anymore. Don't even stand as men. Uh, don't stand in your faith. Uh, you know, neutralize everybody, basically. And so those all pull against this idea that you and I are called as men to be strong, stand firm in the faith. What else? What, why is it more men, Christian men, standing today? Um, one of my thoughts would be uh, guilt and shame. Yeah. It's true. And if the enemy can replay your past and replay your guilt, he'll keep you from standing. He'll keep you off your feet, and you'll lose the battle every time. Yep, it's true. Yep. I get that gets back to that idea of second guessing yourself all the time. You start thinking, well, I probably shouldn't say anything because sometimes I still struggle with that. Well, I probably shouldn't speak out because you know I'm not all that great anyway. And you're done. You're done at that point. You're back in your seat. You're not. You're not standing victorious. You're not pursuing. You're not making a difference. You're not influencing. You're just. Re- you've retreated. And then he says, "Gotcha. You're done." They're not willing to pay the price because yes. some loss. Yes. You're right, man. The minute the minute you go from this to this, you are taking a risk because there are going to be some people that are going to say, that's offensive, I don't want to be around you, uh, I don't think that's right, and so you, you're going to take a risk, and it's going to affect relationships, it's going to affect family, it's going to affect a lot of things, today more so than we've seen in our lifetimes. It used to be that you could say, uh, I'm a Christian in your family, and people might have, you know, decades ago, there was a little bit of respect for someone like that. Then it began to be where it was just like, eh, 
but no one said anything. Today, they'll just go out and say it, and they'll come right out and, and walk away from you. And sometimes it even means we have to be the ones to walk away. We have to be the ones to step away from a scene, from even, even situations and some people groups that you've been around, or people even. You have to take a stand in some of those situations. So, yes, there's a cost. And if you're not willing to pay that price, you won't get to that place of strength. But if you're going to win, if you're going to defeat these other areas, if you're going to be overwatch, you've got to be in a position of strength. And that comes from standing. Now, let's walk through this for just a minute because this gets very interesting. Um, scripture tells us to stand. Look at these passages from Ephesians. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand. There it is again. Not sit, not cower, but face and stand. In other words, whenever you're going to face the enemy, it has to be from a position of standing. Long-term victory comes from standing, from confidence, from facing him, standing firm against him. It's the only way you're going to face the enemy. It has to be by standing. Ephesians also in 6, 13 and 14 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. Or stand again. Twice. Here's the critical nature of standing. The only way to fight in a battle is from a position of standing, of being firm. You can't turn your back. You can't cower. You can't negotiate. You can't bow. You can't get into a conversation with the enemy. You can't rationalize with the enemy. You have to stand against the enemy. This is a position you and I must learn to be comfortable with. But again, depending upon the church environment you've been in, that's not something that a lot of men are taught to do is stand. It seems instead that there's, like I mentioned earlier, there's more of a cowering position, a quieted position that men are called to instead of being resolute, strong in your faith, fixed in what you believe, certain about your salvation, confident in God's word secure in being able to speak it. This is the only way you can fight. This is the only way is by having the higher ground and standing in your authority in Christ, the, what, the authority that Jesus has given. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Now, this is one of those that's different. This is New King James I'm reading to you. If you have King James and you read that verse, it says... Um, Stand fast and quit ye like men. It's a reference to men specifically here. Stand like a man. Stand in the faith. Be confident in this. This is where your victory comes from. This is where your power comes from. And then Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Stand in the freedom that you have. Stand in the forgiveness that you have. Don't cower to anything or anyone that sounds like intimidation, 
that sounds like fear, that sounds like threat, that sounds like guilting, that sounds like self-hatred, that sounds like self-punishment, that sounds like insecurity, that sounds like pride. You can't, you can't cower to any of that. You have to be in this position of standing. Now, I'm going to ask one of the questions that's actually in the table discussion. I want to, I want to hear your input on this. So often when we even think in our own minds about prayer, worship, and even uh, being in the presence of God, <clears throat> we often think of postures like kneeling on our face, bowed, and those are good, and those are right. But here you find different postures given. These all speak of upright. These all speak of two feet planted. These all speak of readiness to trample. How are you, how do we somehow navigate those very different postures of kneeling, bowing on our faces with standing? Upright. See my question? The kneeling is when giving reverence to the authority. Yes. What instantly popped in my head was in a medieval time, the knights would go before the king. Yes. Kneel, yes. They received the authority. Yes. And then they went out and performed their mission by standing. Nice. Beautiful picture. That's right. They knew who their authority was, and they knew to bow before him. But that gave them actually the power then to stand in battle. It's important to know who you kneel before and who you stand over. You kneel before Jesus, but you stand upright over everything else, right? What else? How, how do you navigate these two concepts here? I love that, Bobby. It's good. Jim? Yep. It's fascinating that that's given to us. We're so earn-minded, we want to think we have to earn that place. We have to rank up to get to that. And Jesus said to the disciples, I'm giving you this authority. And we find out we've been seated with him in heavenly places. We actually have that authority already. You don't have to work toward a place of having authority over the enemy. It's given to you question will be whether we're going to choose to stand upright in it and speak that and act on that and walk in that or not, right? Any questions before we break into our table discussion? They're, they're going to, you know, be 
Yeah. <clears throat> Good. It's true. Because then, then you walk out in that power. Not in your own name, but in the power of the name of the king. And you, your sword is still a sword, but who you represent now, you have all of a sudden a whole different level of power, strength, uh, purpose, and you've got an army behind you as well, and a king who's given you authority. Yeah, so this is what we're called to. So, again, if we're going to be in a place where we start winning over any of those strongholds at the front, any of the threats of the enemy, if you're going to attempt to deal with fear, anxiety, and worry, you're going to get there when you recognize, I have been given the high ground, and I'm going to take my place in Christ, and fear, anxiety, and worry, when you come with your threats, I'm not going to negotiate with you. I'm not going to try to rationalize with you. I'm not going to try to bargain with you, I'm going to take the authority that I have in Christ who tells me to fear not, that tells me I have been not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And you're going to win when you take your authority and stand over that, and then you can trample that. You can put it way below you, under your feet. It starts by taking the high ground position, and you only get that by receiving what Christ has given you to stand in him and stand with authority. Yeah? All right. Discuss this at your tables. Make some application here and then uh, have someone pray at the end.